And so I want you to know the passage we're going to read has a deep history of God's agenda to relate to us in a familial, fatherly way. It's hope today. So turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. A God who has a vision to have a family filled with sons and daughters. Galatians chapter 4. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's a a beautiful translation if you're looking for a, a, a fresh approach to Scripture. Think of it this way, verse 1. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not, not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. So here's the picture. Paul is alluding to a, a, a cultural reality in first century Rome. That those sons in the family, until they reach the age set by the father, usually the age around 14, even though that firstborn son was the inheritor of all that his father possessed, until he reached that age, in a functional reality, he was no better than a slave. Are you tracking with me? Because he didn't reach the age of maturity yet. So even though this son and this family was going to be the recipient of all the riches and the inheritance that his father had and was going to give him, because he hadn't reached the appropriate age, he was functionally a slave. That's what Paul's saying here. Same. Look at this. And he said, and this is how all of us were before we came to Christ. So here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the crossover. God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and to fulfill what no patriarch, what no one in Israel, none of the prophets, none of the kings, what no one could do, God the Father has done in and through his son, Jesus, so that now through Jesus, no longer are we going to be bound to um, slavery or, or live lives as functional slaves in hopes of deliverance. But now, because of what God has done in and through Christ Jesus, he has made a way of escape, a way of freedom, a way made available for every person in this room, every person in the world. And here's what he goes on to say in verse 4. When the right time came, someone say right time. God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him, I love this, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that, someone say so that, he could adopt us as his very own children. And so you see the picture. He's alluding to Exodus language where God sees his people Israel enslaved and he told Abraham he was going, they were going to be enslaved for 430 years. They're enslaved in bondage to the slave master Pharaoh. Their, their lot was one of making bricks and this being pressed down just constantly living the life of a slave. And God raises up a deliverer in response to his people's cries. And he raises up Moses whom the enemy at the very beginning of his life tried to wipe him out, sort of like Jesus' life. Remember he had to leave Egypt and go everywhere. Moses is raised up, and 
He tries to deliver the people by his own ability when he was 40. And then he had to go learn the hard lesson that God just needs his availability, not so much his, uh, you know, I got this. So 40 years later, now the 80-year-old humbled Moses goes back with the same calling and by the power of God delivers an entire nation through the Red Sea. And the, the, the promise was you're going to be delivered, but it's going to cost all of Egypt their firstborn. And the only way you're going to be delivered, Israel, is if you take a spotless lamp and you put its blood over the door, doorposts, the door frames of your, of your door. Prophetically representing when the angel of death came of judgment over this land of slavery. When it saw the blood, it would pass over. Say, pass over. And that death that all of our sins deserve would pass over those families marked by the blood. And then God delivered a nation. He saved them. He rescued them. He set them free from their slavery. And Paul is absolutely drawing from that story. Now he's applying it to Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles open, look again. When the right time came, God sent his son. He sent him to buy our freedom when we were slaves so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And so you see that all of Israel's hoping and longing because now when Paul's writing this, who is occupying Israel? It's not Egypt any longer, right? It's Rome. And how many know this is a prophetic picture that superpowers may change, but the reality is humanity experiences that slavery no matter who's in office, and the only one that can set us free from that slavery is the man Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter the superpower. It doesn't matter who, who rises and who falls. The condition is not just an outward condition. It's that inwardly we are by nature rebels and that enmity against God. And the only one that can take us from being slaves at odds and enmity with our creator is the one who became like us in every way, Jesus Christ, who could fulfill that law, who never disobeyed the babysitter. I'm borrowing from N.T. right there. He calls it the law, the babysitter, the coach, the one who kept pointing them to the path of life, but every time it pointed to them, like little kids, they're like, no, I don't want to obey that. Come on, who's got little kids? And so Jesus comes and he subjects, look at this, God subjects his son to the law. He subjects his, God, his son to the experience of all of humanity. But as he subjects his son, unlike every other human, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't respond in rebellion and who do you think you are to tell me that you are the one true God and I need to worship you? Who do you think you are? I'm God. I run my own life. Jesus is the only one in human history that fully submits to that subjugation and he does it willingly and gladly. He surrenders and submits and he's born under the law from a woman and he, he's born in Nazareth, this this uh, other side of the you know, train tracks type of town, and he walks as a humble technon, a, a, a worker, a carpenter, an artisan. 
And he lives this mundane life for 30 years. And then he emerges through his baptism and he fulfills all righteousness. And he, 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 he wreaks havoc on the works of darkness and the enemy. And he, his whole life crescendos to this time that God set from before eternity passed. Where he would hang on the cross representing all of sinful humanity. And through the cross, all of humanity at the gavel dropped over his life would be set free from their position of slavery. And so there's, there's this, God sends his son and he subjects him. And unlike all of us, who, who, uh, who do you think you are? He says, I know who you are. You're my father and I'm doing this because I love them and I want them to be brought into my family. You see, because God's idea of sons and daughters is as old as the uncreated God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And because we are his children, somebody say, I'm his child. Not only does God the Father send his son, and then Jesus lives the life none of us could live, and he died the death that all of us deserved, and then he rose in power. Jesus told his disciples, but even though I'm leaving you guys, I'm going to ascend back to the Father, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Someone say, he's not going to leave me as an orphan. God is not going to leave you guys, Jesus is telling his disciples, even though I'm no longer going to be walking with you in the flesh. You see, part of my plan was not just to pay for the penalty of your sins. Part of my plan was to make a way so that God could pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh so that no matter where you're from, whatever nation or economic background or educational status or smart or tall, that every single person, Ephesians 2, 13 and 17, would now have access to the Father by one Holy Spirit. And so you see, God sending the Son the son subjecting himself to the law and fully obeying it. And after he gave his life as that payment for our freedom, he rose and then he pours out. Look at this. Look at this. Then God sends his Holy Spirit, the spirit of his son. Look at that. It's the spirit of the son. And that spirit prompts all of us to call out Abba, Father, which is to say, Daddy. Now, here's the promise. Here's, what's, here's why this is so cool. I love this word in verse 7. Now, someone say now. You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And here's the coolest part I like a lot. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Which here's, here's, here's what Paul's doing here. Remember that story of the son, and he, he's as good as a slave until he reaches the age where he can actually inherit all that his father has. Here's the picture that Paul piggybacks on to unpack what happens to every person who puts their faith in Jesus. Unbelievable. He takes us, and he doesn't just set us free from our sin. How many know that'd be good enough? That'd be cool. He sets us in the place of sons and daughters. Not only so, he doesn't give us a probationary period to prove the validity of our conversion, but right as he declares we are free and we are his sons, and the Spirit adopts us and we cry out, Papa or Abba, Father. Not Look at this. No, hold on. Not only that, we become an heir of all that God the Father has given us through Jesus Christ. A full, the, picture here, the, the picture here is, is that of a fully grown heir. Amen. Did you know that your father, the, 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 
The earth is the Lord, Psalm 24, 1 and 2, and everything in it. That's your Father who's made you an heir of Him. Are you tracking with me? Did you know that God the Father has made every spiritual blessing available to you, Ephesians 1, 3, in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. And when anyone in this room, when you put your faith in Jesus, here's what happens. He rescues you. He reconciles you to relationship. He restores your creational mandate to be a son who walks in the cool of the day with his father. He puts his spirit, so not only does he rescue you, he gives you power to live out of that new identity, which is really good news, because you're not destined to just perpetually be a slave, amen? He empowers us to live out our sonship and our daughtership. And then he says, by the way, now that you're mine, everything I have is yours. What else does heir of all things mean? Everything I've got, guys. You're my son. You're my daughter. Everything I have and that I've made available through my son is now yours. Because you are my sons and my daughters. What's unbelievable to me is this. And there's no time, but I've given you a very brief snapshot that God's idea from the beginning was to have spiritual sons and daughters. And I find it so staggering that the great agenda of heaven mirrors the greatest need on earth. The issue of, of sons and daughters who live lives as orphans. And Emily's just going to come and share very briefly about this epidemic And then we're going to have a testimony, and then we're going to pray for each other. Give it up for Emily, please. Uh, So these are just a few stats you guys could find on the Internet if you wanted to look it up. But it just kind of brings a little bit of awareness to actually what is going on, not necessarily around the world, but just here. These are stats from taken from the U.S., Um, it says 63 percent of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Uh, 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 90%. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. Uh, Their pregnancy rate, 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father. Uh, These are stats that that really apply, you know, right here where we live. And so this is just something you guys can can be awakened to the fact, like, these are way far above 50%. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to go into it any more than that. That's good, just that. And the reason I wanted to share that is this. Listen, the church is called the family of God. Let me say that again. The church is called to be the family of God to those who are fatherless. Are you tracking with me? That, 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 the exception that we experience, the spirit of adoption, it can't just stay with us. God wants that to spill out into all of those who desperately need that loving, caring family. Are you tracking with me? I have met, I had to, I'm writing a paper for my master's, and I had to interview these ministries from all over this city. This is this city. And they said, by far, the greatest need of our city 
are for loving moms and dads, aunties and uncles, and wherever you fit on that spectrum, to rise up and to say, you know what, I will be a refuge and a safe place for the next generation. Let me say that again. Every single one of them that I interviewed, that I had to do for my paper, all unanimously said the greatest need is for the church to rise up and say, you know what, I want to be, I've been adopted into his family, so no matter what your family situation has been like, we, by the Spirit of God, can help rewrite the story of fatherlessness in this city. And listen, this is not, those statistics, are, they're, they're, they grip our heart, and the reason why I wanted them to be shared is this. The agenda of heaven is to adopt the world. How is adopting those who need father and mother not the agenda of the church? I'm not pulling a fast one on you. I'm not trying, no emotional heartstrings. If the agenda of God was to adopt and to have sons and daughters into his family, then what if the greatest thing that we could do at Cornerstone Church was not think about how to be more clever or to be more cute or how to have straight. What if we just said, you know what, to the greatest need in our city, here we are. We don't have all the answers. It's messy. But we want to be that, that, that family that says, you know what, for those who don't have a father, those who don't have a mother, you can come here. We've got a lot to spare. <laughs> can you hear me? It doesn't matter where you came from or what you're going through. Listen, God, Jesus redefined family in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 to 50. He said, who is my mother, my brothers, my sister? Those who do the will of my father in heaven. That's my family. And I want you to know that matter, no matter where you're at on that spectrum today, that God's vision for his church is to be that family. The family of sons and daughters who grow up to be mothers and fathers who invite an entire generation wondering if there's anyone out there who will show an interest in me. Is there anyone out there who will take the time to invest their life in me? I'm here to tell you, I, 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 you know, in a sad note, the Jayhawks lost yesterday. Not funny. The, if you don't know what that is, that's not a real animal. It's a mascot for my favorite team, the KU Kansas Jayhawks. And here's what I realized as I've been watching a little bit of March Madness basketball. Every commercial is one of four things. Oh, stop the tape. Viagra. <laughs> retirement. A new car, three things. I've been watching it all throughout March. You know when I've been when I'm not, you know when I was done working. You know. <laughs> Every one of them, Northwest Mutual. I can name all of them. BMW. Like like the vision that 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 men. Listen, mostly men, I know, you know, a lot of women watch basketball, but the vision for men is take care of yourself, f f you know, feed and fuel your desire for whatever, uh, you know, sex or whatever, and then, you know, just take it easy so you can cruise the rest of your life and just do what you want. And I want you to know God's got a more amazing vision for us. He's got a more amazing vision. As I've been watching the sports, I'm like, my goodness, every single commercial is, hits one of those three things. It's, it's, it's seeding us with that... that we go out sort of, you know, the rest of our life, it's sort of, we finally get to do what we want. And I want you to know the greatest thing that any of us could do would be to say yes to God's agenda, to become that family for a city, for a generation that so desperately need to know that they're loved. Amen. Amen. 
I'm gonna have Jim and Megan hand. Give it up for them just really quick. They're gonna share... They're going to share a story that is just, uh, just really awesome. And so they have an adopted little beautiful girl. How many have seen little Emery? Amazing. Just want to ask them to share just very briefly about their journey, if you could. Okay. Um, so God kind of used um, some, some sadness in our life um, to bridge us to adoption, um, and we chose to do Fost Adopt. There's so many different um, agencies and types of adoption, but um, I had struggled with multiple miscarriages, and through that, um, God just kind of spoke to us and just kind of um, through his word, and the adoption is huge on his heart. And um, so we started looking into agencies um, that we could adopt through. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit emotional because... <laughs> um, but um, you know the doors just opened, and it was it was a, it was a total God thing. There's no denying that. And um, we got certified through an agency, and um, you know it's there. It's a process, but it's worth every bit of the process. If God is putting on your heart to, there's so many different ways you can uh, you can adopt. You can just be a CASA, which is a uh, case-appointed advocate, um, someone that invests into the lives of teens. Um, there's lots of ways, but basically um, we got certified, and the day we got certified, literally the day we got certified, um, our social worker came in and told us about a little baby girl that was in uh, um, in a NICU um, that was basically abandoned, and um, yeah, Jim can take over. <laughs> So we got certified on May the 6th, 2014. The very next night, we went to college, NICU, stinks. And we met this little four pound, five ounce, adorable little preemie. And then worked the very next day, and Megan says, Jim, she can go home. And I go, go home. So the next day, May 8th, we go in the cottage NICU empty handed, we come out with this tiny baby. And all we had to do was feed her every three hours, haven't slept since for six hours straight, <laughs> change diapers, catch from falling off the bed, and love her. And from the moment we brought her home, we've been, we've been in love with her. And with her, it's the first time I experienced this this magical, wonderful thing called the father-daughter bond. And I'm like this. I really am. But it's, it's, it's a prison that I, I want no release from ever. And so when the judge graduated us from being foster parents to, to real-life parents for her, it didn't change anything for us. Um, we didn't adopt because we felt sorry for her. We thought we were good. We, out of pity, we did because we were in love with this little girl. God looked down and said, I love them, I love her, I have a place for her. We thought because we were madly in love with her, and all we wanted to do was to spend the rest of our lives loving her. All that changed in us was like a, now we can go on without any fear of anything, because she's officially ours, we're hers, and God is awesome. He really is. And, um... 
as Jim was talking, I just, I really, um, as Chad was preaching on adoption, it wasn't, it wasn't a moment when we walked in the hospital and we're like, we're going to love Emery when she's ours. From the moment we, we laid eyes on her, we loved her. And God is that with you guys. He loves you, um, you know, from the moment he lays eyes on you. He loves you when you screw up. He loves you, you know, and, and wherever you're at. And so it's not like Jim and I were like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll do this and then maybe we'll fall in love with her. No, God loves you from that very first moment. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. <laughs> There's too much emotion going on up here. <laughs> Give it up for them. That was amazing. You guys are amazing. So you say chatty. Okay. God's agenda is for sons and daughters. We know it's a great need in our city, in our world. The need for mothers and fathers to rise up. You're going, dude, you are jacked up if you think I'm about to adopt a kid. How many thought that? Oh, thank you. Thank you for being honest, Lance. Um, for some of you, that, that obviously, I think it's going to happen. I would love to see this church become just an adopting machine. Amen? Um, I went to a church in Michigan. Uh, no, other state, colder. Minnesota. And I ministered in Minnesota, and it was, it was a church that, in that church, they had adopted 50 kids. And I've traveled to 20-plus states. I've been around the world in ministry. And I, I was up there. I was supposed to lead worship, and I heard the backstory of this church. And when I got up, and the very first chord that I played, I just wept. Like, this is going to be hard to get through this worship set if it's the first chord. And the reason I wept is because the spirit of family was so thick in that church. The spirit that there's no one in here who is an outsider. We want to bring you into the family of God. It was like no other church I've been to in, in the whole world. And 50 of their kids. And I'm just wondering, you know, as we talked about adoption today, being adopted into God's family. Number one, I want to say, God wants you in his family. Amen. Amen. That God, through his son and by his spirit, wants to adopt you into his family, no matter what your dad or mom or whatever situation has been like, you've got a father in heaven that loves you. Before you had an idea about him or your thought about, maybe I would give my life to him, even when you were at your lowest, most dark place, God the Father was lavishing love on you and there was nothing you could do about it. And there's nothing that could separate you from it. So number one, if you're here today and you're like, dude, I don't, I don't know God like that. I want you to know that you can know him as your father today. Amen. 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 And then for, for, for those of you who are, you know, I, okay, I know God and stuff, and you're just kind of cruising in your journey. I'm, one of the things we're going to unroll in the next several months is, is we're going to rise up in, in, in this city as a, a place where kids can be mentored and loved and nurtured. All in favor, say amen. There are a billion different ways to plug in and to serve, but just be watching for that, to be, to be able to become a place for the next generation to know that they're not alone, but that God is for them and loves them, and so are we. Amen. And I just, I'm so convinced as I studied for this message today, I don't think it's an accident that the overwhelming agenda of heaven for God to have sons and daughters and the overwhelming need of our day, the next generation crying out for a loving adult 
that cares for them and wants to coach them into their potential. I don't think that's an accident. And I think the church has pretty clear marching orders in, in the day and age we live. Amen. We don't have to say, you know what, that's someone else's problem. We, by the spirit of adoption, can say, you know what, there's room in the family for you. There's room in the family for you. Come. We'll love you and coach you and nurture you and, and point you to, those, to the life that Christ has made available for you. Just let that sink in. Just, let's just bow our heads. I just, God is your Father. He loves you. He wants you in His family. That through Jesus, He's made a way. No matter how bound or broken or weak you feel today, that God the Father loves you. He's, he's stooped over, arms outstretched, longing to wrap you in His embrace this morning. I don't know if there's any in this place that say, Chatty, I want to be adopted in. I want to be adopted into God's family. I, I want to be set free from my slavery. I want to be made a son or a daughter. That's an heir of all that God has made available for me through Christ. If that's you, would you just stand where you're at? Just stand up if you want to be in the God's family today. Just maybe you said, you know what? I've never, I've never been adopted in. I've never, I never put my faith or my trust in Jesus. I want God to be my pops, which is what Abba means, my daddy. Anybody else? You'd say, I, I want to I be rescued today from my slavery, and I want to be brought into the place of being a son or a daughter. It's awesome. Lord, for those that are standing, we just say, welcome home. <laughs> That's our big fancy prayer. Welcome home. You are his child through Jesus. You are his son and his daughter, that he has brought into this place of being an heir, a fully grown recipient of all that God has made available through Christ. Welcome home. He loves you and he's for you. Maybe some today, in this next call goes out to those who maybe wandered away. Maybe you've been adopted in, but now you're like the prodigal son. You're wallowing in the muck and the mire of bad habits and former choices, if you today want to say, you know what, I want to run to the Father who's running to me right now, could you stand? You just say, you know what, I want to run home. I don't want to stay in my, yeah, amen. You don't, he's your Father who loves you. He loved you in the pig pen just like he loved you in the house. He never stopped loving you. Anybody else for this one? There's several that more that have stood. Just say, you know what, I want to run home. And we just declare today over your life that you are forgiven, that you are washed and you are clean. That God the Father, in accordance with his word, he takes your filthy feet and he washes them and he puts on brand new shoes. He takes your tattered garments from your choices and your habits and your patterns and he removes them and he gives you a brand new robe, robe that is fit for a king or a queen. He takes your hands filthy and he washes them and he puts a ring of authority, a ring of prominence, a ring that signifies you belong to this family, not just over there in the corner, but you have full access to all that God the Father has made available for you in his spirit. And so we just say, come home, welcome home. Your father loves you. And for the rest of us, this call, I mean, not just some emotional thing, but you say, you know what, I want to be a part of seeing Cornerstone Church become just this place 
of literal adoption, some of us no doubt are going to go down that road. But a place where, you know what, I want to rise up and be a mother or father of a generation that is longing to know they're loved and not alone. If that's you, you want, if you want to just say yes to that call, could you stand where you're at? Just saying yes. And not everyone's going to stand, I know. But that those who do, you'd say, I want to say yes to that call. To be a mother and a father. For a generation longing to know if there's a place they can call home. If that's you, can you just put, put your hands out just to receive the Father's heart? Lord, I just thank you. Pour out the Father's heart on those who are here that are standing for this call. Jesus, and just impart that, that Father or that Mother's heart that is just tenaciously set on loving the next generation. All of their warts and wrinkles and all. Come on, someone say amen. All the funkiness and the diaper changes and all the, the late night this and that. Lord, we are standing. I'm standing. We're standing to say, Lord, we want to be a part of the solution. We want to be a part of seeing the agenda of heaven become the reality on earth, which is to adopt and to bring those who are far and lonely into family. And we just say, God, I pray, pray, pour out your Holy Spirit that you would provide all that would be necessary for us to take that next step as a church family. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for setting us free. Holy Spirit, thank you for adopting us into the family of God. And I pray that even as God sent the Son and even as God sent the Holy Spirit, that God would now send the church to be the embodiment of the Father's love in all the world. And those in our neighborhoods and workplaces, those, Lord, that, that we know, that we see and we pass on the streets, God, give us your heart to be those people who see that not only did you send the Son and send the Spirit, but that you're sending us, that you want to make your appeal to the world through us, your people. God, we pray, send us in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Could you all just stand with me? I want to just send us out with a blessing. And here's our promise as God sends us. In accordance with James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from your Father of heavenly lights, who never changes like the shadows, but he's given us birth through the word of his truth so that we, our very lives, could be recipients of the very blessing and first fruits of all that he's done in and through Jesus. And so may you go knowing you are lavishly loved, that there's nothing you could do to separate God's love, yourself from God's love, that he is for you. And if he's for you, beloved, who can be against you? Someone help me. Nobody can. And if the one who is in you is the one who's already overcome the world, there's nothing you can face when you leave these doors that he doesn't have a solution and a hope for. And so may God send you, church, to be that family that so many long to be a part of. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said...